Book One, Chapter Five of Toussaint L'Ouverture, A Biography and Autobiography. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James K. White. Toussaint L'Ouverture, A Biography and Autobiography by John Relly Baird. Book One, Chapter Five immediate causes of the rising of the blacks dissensions of the planters spread of anti-slavery opinions in europe the outbreak of the first french revolution mulatto war negro insurrection toussaint protects his master and mistress and their property footnote chapter five of the english edition which treats of toussaint's presumed scriptural studies the mosaic code the epistle to philemon and kindred topics is omitted as irrelevant every intelligent reader can presume toussaint's scriptural interpretations as well as the author editor End of footnote. while toussaint was pursuing a course of reading and meditation which was to conduct him in its issue to great achievements the volcano of insurrection and mutual slaughter was preparing around him the premonitions of which he was too sagacious not to discern. Haiti was prosperous. The masters daily grew more opulent on the produce of their plantations. The war of American independence made Haiti into a great commercial entrepot, and largely augmented its wealth. Could the actual condition of the colony have been maintained, its riches would have continued to increase, and with its riches, its voluptuousness but already that very wealth had sown the seeds of disorder. The larger planters were too opulent and too powerful to be at peace with each other. There existed a rivalry between the two chief cities, the Cape and Port-au-Prince. This rivalry was made more intense when, in 1787, the superior council of the Cape was suppressed and its power transferred to the council of Port-au-Prince under the general designation of the Superior Council of Santo Domingo. Dissensions ensued in which the West and the South soon took part. Appeal was made to France. The government listened but gave no remedy. Recourse was had to indirect influence. Deputies were sent to Paris. Their activity called forth opposition on the part of the colonial proprietors who habitually resided in that metropolis, and they, carried away by the fashion of the hour, formed, for the furtherance of their views, a club called the Club Masaïque, from the name of the hotel where the members assembled. Thus organized, they proceeded to withstand the deputies from Haiti, and specially strove to prevent their obtaining a hearing before the States General. The progress of events, however, creating a common alarm, the club united with the deputies in seeking the establishment of a colonial assembly. In this question there was a new source of disagreement. What should be its constitution? Who should be its members? How should its members be elected? These debatable points occasioned long and disquieting discussions. The North and the West came again into collision, and the island was torn by discord. The great proprietors set the example of innovation. At no period could such an example have been more unseasonable. 
throughout europe there had spread and waxed strong a spirit of humanity which denounced slavery and sought its abolition in england and in france that generous spirit acquired immense social power then those philanthropists who acquired for themselves perpetual fame in proclaiming the rights of the slave and procuring the abolition of the slave trade price priestley sharp clarkson wilberforce began their generous and noble efforts the society of the friends of the blacks les amis des noirs was formed and the stronghold of slavery was assailed in a manner which announced the certainty of its downfall could the desire of these eminent men have prevailed the contest would have been left exclusively to mental and moral resources but the fermentation of the public mind in france moved in its very depths by centuries of civil and ecclesiastical misrule and profligacy provoked an appeal to the most violent of human passions and the most dreadful of human appliances the oath of the tennis court and the taking of the bastille commenced the battle of liberty against despotism the announcement of these events in haiti produced the greatest agitation the existing discontents received fresh impulse the planters hailed the revolution as a precursor of the independence of the colony the officers of the government encouraged the dream of a counter-revolution the petit blanc intoxicated with enthusiastic sympathy cheered and sustained the parisian mobs and hoped to pursue a similar course in the island while the several classes of the whites were thus distracted the mulattoes experienced the general excitement the more because they were watching their opportunity for self-liberation as to the negroes they in general pursued their wonted round of toil apparently and for the most part really indifferent to the social commotion certainly among the agitated parties no one thought of their emancipation the factions were intent only on their several interests the colonists wanted at least an increase of their power the men of color sought to raise themselves to an equality with the colonists if these selfish views required a covering the veil was found in the claim of sameness of privileges for all free men the black was too much despised to be thought of by the colonial combatants the first marked effort was made by the mulattoes and so the first contest was a contest for the attainment of mulatto interests a deputation of men of color was sent to paris eager to promote the views of their caste they presented six millions of francs for the service of the state and offered the fifth of their property and mortgage of the national debt they asked in return that they should in all things be put on a footing of equality with the whites whom they alleged they equaled in number and with whom they partook all the territorial and commercial wealth of the colony the president of the assembly replied that no part of the french nation should in vain claim rights at the hands of the representatives of the french people at the same time there took place in the assembly a discussion respecting the servitude of the blacks the entire nation seemed to have made the question its own and a distinguished member of the legislature uttered these bold and disinterested words i am one of the greatest proprietors of santo domingo but i declare to you that were i to lose all i possess there i would make the sacrifice rather than disown the principles which justice and humanity have consecrated 
I declare for both the admission into the administrative assemblies of the colony of men of color and the liberation of the blacks. This famous declaration made by Lamotte produced an immense effect. It astounded the great planters and filled them with distrust and hatred against the men of color. That adverse feeling manifested itself in the execution at the Cape of the mulatto Lacombe, whose only crime was the affixing of his signature to a petition in which he claimed the rights of man. The mulattoes of Petit Guave had addressed to the Electoral Assembly of the West of Haiti a petition in which they humbly requested not equality of rights, but merely some improvements in their condition. Those who had put their names to the entreaty were all apprehended, and the person who drew it up, Ferrand de Boudier, though reputed a just and wise man, and though he had been high in office, was, with only the forms of a trial, hurried into the hands of the executioner, in spite of the efforts made to save him by the colonial government. While these and other displays of hope on the one side and jealousy and fear on the other were taking place, a decree of the French legislature, 8th of March, 1790, arrived in the colony, which, founded on broad principles of justice, gave the men of color the right to enter the colonial assemblies. The Haitian representatives just constituted under the orders of Louis the Sixteenth, and assembled at Saint-Mer with the title of General Assembly, before they proceeded to any other business, formally declared that all the whites would die rather than share political rights with a bastard and degenerate race. Moreover, they proclaimed themselves the sole legal and legitimate representatives of the colony, and disallowed the authority of the governor-general, whose power emanated from the French government, merely consenting to submit their decrees for the royal sanction. By these and similar steps, the tendency of which was to concentrate all power in the hands of a portion of the resident planters, two authorities were set in operation for the usurpations of the general assembly compelled the governor and the superior council of port-au-prince in union with the provincial assembly of the north to take measures of self-defense and to maintain their position a bitter contest ensued during the progress of these collisions a new element of confusion intervened vincent Ouge, a man of color son of a wealthy butcher at the cape whom the mulattoes had sent to Paris as one of their deputies, landed at Cap Francois, October 17, 1790, under the name of Puissac, with the title of Lieutenant Colonel, and the Order of the Lion, which he had purchased of the Prince of Limbourg. And, having visited his mother, who lived in handsome style at Dondon, marched in alliance with Chavan, a man of his own caste, at the head of two hundred men to La Grande Riviere, in the department of the north from the camp which he established there he sent to the president of the assembly of that department the following letter vincent Auge, to the members composing the provincial assembly of the cape gentlemen a prejudice too long maintained is about to fall i am charged with a commission doubtless very honorable to myself i require you to promulgate throughout the colony the instructions of the National Assembly of the 8th of March, which gives without distinction to all free citizens the right of admission to all offices and functions. My pretensions are just, 
and I hope you will pay due regard to them. I shall not call the plantations to rise. That means would be unworthy of me. Learn to appreciate the merit of a man whose intention is pure. When I solicited from the National Assembly a decree which I obtained in favor of the American colonists, formerly known under the injurious epithet of men of mixed blood, I did not include in my claims the condition of the Negroes who live in servitude. You and our adversaries have misrepresented my steps in order to bring me into discredit with honorable men. No, no, gentlemen, we have put forth a claim only on behalf of a class of freemen who for two centuries have been under the yoke of oppression. We require the execution of the decree of the 8th of March. We insist on its promulgation, and we shall not cease to repeat to our friends that our adversaries are unjust, and that they know not how to make their interests compatible with ours. Before employing my means, I make use of mildness. But if, contrary to my expectation, you do not satisfy my demand, I am not answerable for the disorder into which my just vengeance may carry me. Uge was attacked by a force of six hundred men. The attack he repelled. The colonies sent another body of fifteen hundred men against him. Uge was defeated and fled. He took refuge in the Spanish territories. His surrender was demanded from the Spanish authorities. Being delivered up, he was put on his trial. That trial, famous in the annals of Haiti, lasted two months. At last, Uge and his lieutenant, Chevan, were condemned to be broken alive on the wheel, and their goods to be confiscated to the king. The sentence was immediately put into execution. Nevertheless, the mulatto war was not brought to an end. On the contrary, the desire of ascendancy and the thirst for revenge became every day more and more intense. Informed of the revolutionary proceedings of the Assembly of Saint-Marc, the authorities in the mother country declared what it had done null and void, divested its members of their authority, required a new election of deputies in their place, and sent two regiments of the line to carry their ordinances into execution. The mulattoes were enthusiastic with joy. The colonists repelled with indignation the thought of receiving men of color as co-legislators with themselves. New risings took place, New conflicts ensued. The passions every day burned more fiercely, and while the mulattoes cherished boundless hopes, the whites, overflowing with indignation, put themselves in open revolt against the mother country, denying its prerogatives and refusing the civic oath. In the midst of these thickening disorders, the planters, resident in France, were invited to return and assist in vindicating the civil independence of the island. Then was it that the mulattoes appealed to the slaves. Terrible was the result. The slaves awoke as if from an ominous dream. Under one of their class, named Buchman, a man of Herculean strength, who knew not what danger was, the Negroes on the night of August 21st, 1791, arose in the terrific power of brute force. Gaining immediate success, they rapidly increased in numbers and grew hot with fury. They fell on the plantations, slaughtered their proprietors, and destroyed the property. Such progress did the insurrection make, that on the 26th 
the third of the habitations of the northern department were in ashes in a week from its commencement the storm had swept over the whole plain of the north from east to west and from the mountains to the sea those rich houses those superb factories were in ruins conflagration raged everywhere the mountains covered with smoke and burning fragments borne upwards by the wind looked like volcanoes the atmosphere as if on fire resembled a furnace everywhere were seen signs of devastation demolished edifices smouldering embers scattered and broken furniture plate and other precious articles overlooked by the marauders the soil running with blood dead bodies heaped the one on the other mangled and mutilated a prey to voracious birds and beasts in proceeding so horrible toussaint could take no part faithful to his owner he during a whole month protected the plantation at the head of the negroes whom he greatly contributed to keep in obedience and prevented the insurgents from setting the fields of sugar-cane on fire while all the whites were flying for their lives and hurrying to find a shelter in the towns madame bayou de libertas protected by toussaint remained in her own abode the superintendent himself who was in camp at Cap, not far from his plantation safely ventured near every day in order to keep up the vigilance of the slaves his safety he owed to toussaint who with inexpressible joy saw bayeux among the negroes at a moment when a white skin ensured instant death happy the slave-owner who in such a crisis has in his gang one who like toussaint is a man and a christian indeed having exerted every power to protect his mistress assist his master and defend the property and seeing the insurrection becoming constantly more formidable exhausted also by fatigue toussaint at length induced madame de bayeux whose life he knew was in danger to quit breda and proceed to the cape in the absence of her husband he got the carriage ready loaded it with articles of value placed his mistress therein and confided her to the care of his younger brother paul nor was this the only service rendered to the family by their noble slave one of the first uses which he made of the influence he acquired was to enable them to emigrate while every white man and all he possessed were devoted to destruction bayeux with his family and a rich cargo left haiti and settled at baltimore in the united states end of book one chapter five recording by james k white Chula Vista.